0: Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host Christian Ubius. Christian, our apocalypse blend of the month is marching on, and we have yet another double feature for the listeners at home. How are you feeling about this week? I gotta say, I'm just gonna give you a a looky-looky inside my brain, I'm feeling good
1: i'm feeling good i did good this month
0: (laughs) there are a few things i love more than how self-congratulatory you get (laughs) over the blends of the month that you put together hey this is from the man who brought you studio ghibli it's true it's true but you also made me watch moonfall so you know that is a permanent ding on your permanent record i'm i'm sorry have you looked at your permanent record it's, it's it's spotty, but I, but I own it. I like it that way. But that's neither here nor there. Maybe we can have a, uh, <laughs> a top five show about top five blends of the months that the other person curated. But for now it is time to get into our final, week here of movies for apocalypse blend of the month and i will say this is not our final 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 episode for the month we will share our plans for next week at the end of the show as per usual so stay tuned folks but it is our final pairing of films so christian i will turn it over to you to go ahead and introduce them for this week so for this
1: week we're looking at two movies once again we are looking at 2006's Children of Men, which was directed by Alfonso Cuaron and written by him, Timothy J. Sexton, David Arada, Mark Fergus, and Hawk Ostby. And we will also be looking at 2011's Contagion. That one is directed by Steven Soderbergh, and it was written by Scott Z. Burns.
0: Always enjoy appreciating the work of a fellow Scott here on the Cinema Drip Podcast. Shout out to Scott Z. Burns. Christian, so these two obviously are quite different from the movies we've looked at otherwise. We started out with Planet of the Apes movies, pretty straightforward science fiction apocalypse. And last month we looked at the disaster films of Roland Emmerich, Independence Day, and Moonfall. So if anybody missed it last week, why did you pick these two for this week's apocalypse blend? Uh, I I obviously understand these are looking at an apocalypse, but in, in very different
1: ways. The the issue with every blend that we have is how to narrow down the focus and encapsulate as much as possible. It's easy when you do something, for example, Aaron Sorkin or Denis Villeneuve, because you're just choosing three movies from their filmography. But when you have something that's slightly greater in scope, like The Apocalypse, I wanted to present it in a variety of forms. So doing two movies per week helps me show different movies in different forms of the apocalypse. The Planet of the Apes movies shows humans surviving, or looking at the aftermath of an Earth-shaking event and knowing that the apocalypse has occurred. In what we did last week, the movies of Roland Emmerich, it's the apocalypse is imminent. But here, what I wanted to do with these two movies, Children of Men and Contagion, it's that the apocalypse is possible.
0: I like that. It 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 is a good way of putting it in that these are two movies that are pretty based in reality. And say what you will about Children of Men, it is obviously set in a dystopian future in a year that we have not yet reached. But either way, it is very real about the possibility of the end of it all. And Contagion is certainly very real about the fear that we could be nearing the end much quicker than we anticipated. So... I really appreciated this as, a, as an aspect of our Apocalypse Blend of the Month. I think often when you think about the apocalypse, you think about Roland Emmerich and the world blowing up or something like A Planet of the Apes where we're in a dystopian future where the apocalypse came and went. So I, I did appreciate the chance to look at these movies this week and I'm looking forward to unpacking them with you here on the show. Anything else that you want to talk about in terms of background information for either of these movies before we dive into our reviews? I, obviously, we have a lot to get to, so I don't want to don't want to dilly-dally if we can help it.
1: I do want to get into a little bit of background information that being said, have you seen either of these two movies before?
0: I had not seen either before, and Children of Men is one that I had wanted to see for a very long time, so I was glad for the kick in the pants to actually watch it and I know a lot of people chose to watch Contagion at the onset of the actual pandemic we are currently living through. Which is one of the
1: worst decisions that they could
0: have made. <laughs> Honestly, after now that I have seen it with much distance from the onset of the pandemic, I am surprised that it became as popular as it did. <laughs> I'm sure
1: we'll talk about that. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's get into background information and uh, basic plot points. So major players and children of men are clive owen julianne moore michael kane those are the the big names and it follows a humanity in the year 2027 where a baby has not been born in the previous 18 years clive owen is our main character He, he i believe his name is theo in the movie yes and he yes he is tasked with escorting a woman who is pregnant with the first child that we have seen in a long time that's not a spoiler that's kind of the, the the premise of the entire film but we're we're in a great britain that's kind of collapsing as the entire world is just full of despair over the fact that in a hundred years there might not be any humans left in contagion we follow a mishmash of characters there's no real <laughs> An may- ensemble if you will <laughs> <laughs> An ensemble, but maybe Lawrence Fishburne. I I think Lawrence Fishburne's the only one who's actually prevalent throughout the entirety of the movie. I mean Matt Damon's kinda he's he's part of the whole movie for the most part. Sure. Uh Gwyneth Paltrow is also there. Kate Winslet is also there. And it follows a a the onset of a pandemic throughout the opening days of it. Up unto how far spread it becomes, the CDC as it tries to tackle it, conspiracy theorists as they come and go, uh, doctors who die, the attempts to create a vaccine, but the difficulty in making the virus presentable and having it survive vaccine trials, the isolation everyone is doing, quarantining. Uh, in and, and this movie came out in 2011. It is in startling great reality with what occurred during covid.
0: True, it it was praised for its scientific accuracy at the time. I know they took that very seriously as they were making the movie and it is a little bit shocking at just how much of uh, this movie was actually reflected in what happened in the onset of our real pandemic where obviously there are some key differences that we'll get into, but it was pretty funny hearing the phrase social distancing in a movie from 2011. With that Scott, are you ready? Oh, Christian. I'm ready. Now, before we fully get in, I know we've, uh, in previous weeks, talked about the two movies in conversation with one another, and last week, you alluded to this, we'll be covering each movie individually, as there's, you know, they're not from the same franchise, they're not the same filmmakers, so we'll be looking at each of them individually,
1: and maybe sharing any findings we have at the end, is that correct? Yes, about 10 minutes or so, we can chalk up to each, although if we go over, we go less, it, we, I understand.
0: <laughs> you have listeners just a little you know christian tries to rein me in all the time i'm, I'm
1: too wordy for him <laughs> so i'll do my best here's your opening question scott how do you think the filmmakers both of children of men and of contagion made use of the urgent sense of panic when presenting these apocalyptic scenarios on screen So in terms of just sheer
0: panic, they take very different approaches. And I think that's because of their respective timelines. Where Contagion is obviously covering an outbreak, a pandemic that is happening. It has just begun. And there is a startling sense of urgency in this movie. And uh, you know, we're obviously we talk spoilers and in these reviews, so just a fair warning, if you want to go in completely clean with these things, but One of the most stunning choices that Soderbergh and um, uh, Burns make is that Gwyneth Paltrow, who's obviously a huge actress, you think that she's going to be playing a big role in the movie, dies from this virus in the first 20 minutes of the movie. And from there there is a, an extreme sense of panic and urgency not just within the movie but for us as viewers because we think oh man if this major movie star <laughs> isn't even going to be part of the movie like she's die, she's die. she's gone she's what gone. else could go wrong nobody is safe and she's not the only major character we see get sick not the only major character we see die and so there is a a serious sense of urgency and panic and staving off the apocalypse because a virus as dangerous as MEV1 in the movie could obviously be fatal to the population, not just to uh, individuals. And I think Children of Men is actually, I would say there's not really a sense of panic. And one of the most fascinating things about Children of Men is that it's a very slow apocalypse where we're not seeing the onset of this virus or whatever has caused humanity to lose the ability to reproduce. We are years removed from that realization. And so we're now in a world that is inching closer and closer towards full-out dystopia. And the apocalypse is very far away because there are still people. The youngest person in the world dies in the first scene of the movie. We hear a news report, and that person is still Baby Diego! Yeah, Baby Diego is only 18. And they even say there's another 18-year-old who is the new youngest person in the world. And so this is going to be a very slow death for humanity, and rather than being about the apocalypse that could be coming, although it's in the back of everybody's minds, it's more about how we're treating each other in the midst of it all, and how we are hoping or despairing or something in between in in, in light of that. So definitely very different approaches to the apocalypse. One, obviously very real about the possibility. One more in fear of it. One panicked of it. And that obviously being children of men and contagion, respectively.
1: It's also when when looking at children of men, it's the birth of this child, the imminent birth of of the first human in 18 years that makes reality so much more and puts, I think, reality into perspective for both the audience members and the characters. Because what if this child, what if this baby dies? Can you get another one? You didn't think there would be any left. Do you think that there can be more or is this it? And the it, it's almost as though the premise of having a child be born reinvigorates fears about what the apocalypse could be. Contagion, on the other hand, is very clinical in its approach. It's not really about hope. It's not really about who is being affected by this pandemic. It's more about the process of... Manifestation of disease to ultimate incubation to ultimate vaccination. And in that, it's a little ruthless. Humanity is being sloshed left and right, but the process needs to be followed right
0: that there's uh, a, a extremely high degree of commitment to following along people who are actually in the midst of it trying to stave off the pandemic and there's not a lot of focus on the I guess the fear and the panic uh, in that we are following a wide-ranging cast some of whom are normal people in the midst of it but many of whom are scientists trying to solve it or uh, you know other people at higher up levels of of government or medicine who are who are trying their best and it's not so ground level at times it's very fast moving and and
1: focused on the big picture now this is i loved both of these movies well i really like contagion i fell head over heels for children of men let me get that out of the way are your feelings the same or am i am i gonna have to Am like, I gonna have to just cancel this entire project?
0: Oh, Christian! If you had to cancel this project, we should just cancel the show. Because if you, I mean, how do you not appreciate these two movies? I, I am with you hundred uh, percent. If I had to pick a movie I preferred out of these two, this pairing of two, I would go with Children of Men as well. I, I very much liked them both, though. So this is gonna be, I think, a fun show. As there's a lot of praise to heap on both of these movies.
1: Let's, let's go with Children of Men then. We keep talking about the apocalypse. We keep talking about how. This is, I mean, you can tell that I'm a writer and because I chose this, because it really is into the production design, the screenplay, the story, the premise, even the opening shots, how you set this up. How did they set up the story for you that no child has been born in 18 years? I mean, the way the movie begins is
0: there's like, you know, bits and pieces of news reports at the beginning, if I'm not remembering that incorrectly, but we eventually open on Theo who's you know played by Clive Owen the main character we follow throughout the movie as he's picking up his morning coffee and there's a news report talking about how the youngest person in the world has died that's baby Diego and delivering information through that news report i think is a smart choice number one to obviously communicate oh my gosh the youngest person in the world was 18 this is this has been a problem for some time also showing the way that People immediately react to that news. You get a sense of the just the emotions of of people in this world where there are people who are still holding out hope and the, the death of a young person like Diego is heartrending. There are people sobbing in this coffee shop. And from there, of course, Theo walks out and a bomb goes off. And you see that this, of course, is not a normal world that we're living in. Society is not persisting on as possibly as it could be. Uh, But there's all, there is violence in this world. There are different factions, different groups vying for power, vying for humanity in their own different ways. And I think that the, despite how many writers are credited on this movie, they do a really good job of doling out that information and staying focused on creating a really great world, telling a great story and, like loading it up with themes um, and and exploring them pretty richly, so just a a really interesting world to um, to see a story from. And
1: the it's what's 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 the phrase I like to use? It's humanity adjacent, where you have people who are going to work, you have people who are richer than other people, you have news reports, there are bars, there are cafes, there are cars, but there are bombs going off, there are riots. Most of the people you see are white, and that's because they have implemented a uh, no-illegal-immigrants law. Uh, You see the graffiti on the wall, the people who wait outside as buses come by to throw bricks at them. It's... something is definitely wrong. And I'm normally against news reports conveying information in terms of film. But the fact that it's, it's just saying the death of a celebrity and they use it the way that news reports work, I think normally made it so much more potent for me.
0: Right. It's, it's a way of world building, not necessarily a way of delivering, you know, expository plot information. It's not like the news report is pushing the story along. Rather it's filling in the background details and informing the world that we see. And, Obviously, this baby Diego thing is a big part of the first 10 or 15 minutes of the movie is Theo gets to work and people are watching it and crying at their desks. <laughs> and he's able to use it and tell his boss he's feeling very affected and needs to go work from home. And he actually just goes and visits uh, his friend um, Jasper, who's played by Michael Caine. And so it, it it's, yeah, it's not one of those, you know, it's not telling you what's going to happen in the movie. It's not delivering key plot formation, but it's actually just setting things up. And how did you
1: feel, given that, how did you feel about the performances? Because we do have Michael Caine, we do have Clive Owen, we do have Julian Moore, who's here for not a long period of time.
0: No, yeah, we should mention um, Julian Moore is playing Julian, who is Theo's ex-wife and also the leader of one of these, you know, terrorist factions. Um, hers is called the Fishers, and they are a pro-immigrant group that's trying to, you know, save people from the government. This a lot of a- this Sorry. Go there's ahead. also
1: Claire Hope Ashley, who's playing Kay, who is the woman pregnant within this movie.
0: Honestly, I feel like the performances were not the major draw to the movie for me. I don't think there's a single bad performance in the bunch, so it's not like I had problems with any of them. It's just that the reasons that I fell for this movie were mostly related to the world we were inhabiting, the things that the movie was exploring, and the actual filmmaking. And it obviously picked up a few Oscar nominations this year. It was nominated for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. So those are the three things that I enjoyed the most about this movie. <laughs> and so I feel like I don't have too much to say about the performances, at least nothing that I would, I would rather want to introduce uh, with our limited time here. So is there anything that jumped off the screen for you?
1: I thought Clive Owen was phenomenal. I thought that Clive Owen, as the man who has this movie on his back, does such a great job of going from—he's uh, a very cynical person when he meet him. When we meet him, the world's gone. Okay, let's just enjoy the ride as it goes down. Gets contacted by an ex-lover, says, "I need your help." He's like, "Sure, I'll help because I want sex." And then after that, it becomes a, oh frick, maybe humanity's not down the toilet. And him recognizing the hope that there is to be found in K, I think tied in well with me going along for the ride and hoping for them to make it.
0: I will say, I'm I, i I'm, I'm glad that Clive Owen is a star of this movie. And it's funny because he is someone who had, he sort of had a shorter, like, peak <laughs> as a movie star. And around this time, I mean, he was huge. He was nominated for an Oscar in and in 2004 for the movie Closer and was a part of Sin City after that and Inside Man was Spike Lee in 2006 alongside Children of Men so this is like one of his peaks <laughs> as an actor in terms of his fame and the movies he was getting to make and so it was fun uh, getting to see him in a main leading role because I honestly haven't seen a Clive Owen movie in a long time and he is definitely uh, as capable as you're describing and both in pulling off that you know the cynical bastard that he is at the beginning of the movie but as he goes on this emotional journey as he bonds with key and starts to take care of her and wants to see her through um it's completely you know believable and there's this great scene which you know of course spoilers here but where ultimately near the end of the movie she actually goes into labor and it's just the two of them trying to make sure this baby survives the birth and this and, is not a
1: man who knows how women go into labor
0: <laughs> no he uh <laughs> not the most medically trained and that the scene with the two of them giving birth is uh, or i should say with Key giving birth and he is trying to deliver the baby for her it is so good on this strength of their acting together and, and their chemistry uh so yeah certainly uh, a great leading man here i'm glad that I it, honestly I was glad it was Clive Owen.
1: I I wanna continue on this by us choosing what the most memorable moment or the most impactful moment of this movie is for us. Do we have the same one? Uh you know it, we I have not there's... talked about this, so I have no idea. <laughs> are are you choosing when when they're in the asylum and the baby starts crying? So you're you're
0: getting at essentially the ending. Not I mean, not not the final frame, but yeah, I, I would say that that's it for me. Like that, that knocked me. I was already sitting down, but
1: <laughs> maybe leaned. <laughs> okay, this this isn't a spoiler either. This this movie, it, it, it's not so much that we can really spoil this movie. It's much more so that the ride of this movie is something we really recommend people see. This baby starts crying. They're basically in the middle of a full on uprising that's happened in Britain due to the just dissatisfaction between the rebel terrorist organizations who are honestly just looking for equal opportunities, the oppressive government who is trying to keep Britain afloat when a lot of humanity has, a lot of the major cities on Earth have kind of fallen. And it's just an all-out shooting war. And the baby starts crying. And the people who are shooting at each other and these asylum seekers, these refugees, hear it. And these soldiers hear it. And Clive Owen and Claire Hope Ashley are able to walk calmly for at least a little bit. Because people are taken aback by the fact that this sound that has not been heard in years has been brought back. It's an incredible moment.
0: Not just for that, but because the preceding scenes have all been this enormous action set piece as the government and the army descend on this refugee camp that they have secreted away to trying to find passage out of Britain and the fishers who are looking for key and her baby so that they can you know use her for leverage have also arrived and so there's this huge battle going on all around them and it, when they emerge from the building, it's it's not just this great moment where things quiet down and people are wrapped, but it's this break in the action. It's been an onslaught of gunfire and explosions and screaming. And we just see how the world stops for a minute. And you can see the emotions racing across people's faces. Honestly, so many small good acting notes for all of these extras and minor performers playing these people in the background as we see refugees, immigrants, freedom fighters, soldiers alike. Everybody is completely flabbergasted and blown away that this this baby is real. There's a, there's a sound of a baby's tears. It's, a, it's an incredible moment, the way that it both interrupts the action and then is ultimately intruded upon by the action returning as the battle continues briefly after they're
1: able to walk out of this building they were holed up in. Let's, I hate cutting this conversation short. Let's move on to Contagion.
0: Right. It's the it's the trick of these these double feature episodes. Obviously, it's it's fun to cover both of these movies, but you only have so much time to to get at you know each each one. So, um Children of Men certainly strongly recommended by the two of us. Contagion.
1: Different take on reality <laughs> because it is these we find out that people are falling victim. To this disease. The first victim, Patient Zero, is Gwyneth Paltrow. Tell me, I enjoyed this movie because of the clinical nature of it and how closely they followed protocols that you do need to follow in order to isolate a strain of a disease and cure it. But what were your takes on this movie? I mean, it's bizarre how true to real experiences it
0: is and I think one takeaway I had after now living through a pandemic is mercifully in real life although it's been pretty horrible roundly for everyone thankfully we did not have a disease as deadly as MEV1 is in the movie where of course you get cold and flu symptoms and a headache for a few days and then you have a seizure and die and that's 25 percent of people who get the disease so thankfully our pandemic was not as serious and the the speed with which the world devolves happens or it's much faster in contagion where we see martial law going into effect and government officials ordering people not to leave or cross state lines and these and the vaccine of course that we ultimately arrive at gets gets to us a lot faster and so obviously it's a movie you got to move things along but it still was pretty crazy (laughs) how much it was like what actually happened and of course 10 almost 10 years in
1: advance of a real pandemic in this it is hard for me to pinpoint a standout performance because it can't get attached to anyone because some of the people that got attached to just died or disappear from the movie. Cause they only have a couple of scenes because they're part of, of making this vaccine available it, it is gone. And so I wanted to actually throw a little question in there to see how this guides along this discussion. And that is we have a conspiracy theorist and this conspiracy theorist played by Jude law, Spreading misinformation about the virus saying that the vaccine is probably not that helpful and wanting to spread his own uh his own cure for it that doesn't have any scientific backing. How did you feel watching that presented? This is
0: one of in terms of the things that age well, this is one of the things that made me angriest. watching it because we watched people do exactly what Alan Crumody does, and that is Jude Law's character. From pushing conspiracy theories to spreading misinformation about homeopathic cures to even outright lying to the people following him for financial gain. I mean, there are people who (laughs) might be hearing this podcast and saying, yeah, Anthony Fauci, blah, 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 he's the one doing it, but Say you know, say what you will about the politics involved in a pandemic. Crumbworthy seems a lot like people—not maybe not quite like Joe Rogan, but other of these other conspiratorial bloggers, vloggers, Twitch streamers that pushed this kind of information and deluded people into making unwise or at least uninformed choices based on false information. And so, just the fact that um, Burns, who's the writer here, for. For new <laughs> and wrote this character in i think is one of the best choices in the movie because at times you know Crumwoody's plot line takes us away from the search for the cure or the people on the front lines or damon and his daughter trying to survive and uh, their abandoned almost community but crumwitty is an important character in terms of the effects that a pandemic has on a population there will always people who seek to financially gain from it did you like anyone
1: because these characters like are, are not that likable. I mean, I loved Kate Winslet's character and how she was doing it, but these characters, except for Matt Damon's family, are not betraying a ton of emotion. And so, as we chug along, we really are chugging along. It's not a slow-paced movie at all. No, very, very uh, fleet. <laughs> fleet of foot
0: for a movie this uh you know I, honestly you could have stretched it out to like two hours and they're smart to keep it at around an hour or 45 it's it's very fast moving but i don't, I don't know if i agree that nobody is likable and maybe that's just because well, i don't know i, I there you know it's very business-like as a movie it's very serious and i think even though the people maybe aren't the most morally upstanding or you know what, what whatever you want to say they are real and You know, we see a moment where Lawrence Fishburne is playing Dr. Ellis Cheever, who works for the CDC, and he's often called upon, you know, to share information about the pandemic. And even though it's illegal, he calls his fiance and tells her to get out of the city that she lives in because she needs to come see him right away. And that you know, he's sharing insider information that he doesn't share with the general public and he gets in trouble for that. But I think that is real. And and that somebody in his position would probably make that same choice. They wouldn't hold back that information from their family. And even if it's not a likable decision necessarily, I appreciated the honesty. And I feel like people behave in realistic ways, for better or for worse.
1: And when we're when we're looking at one of these one of these situations where Kate Winslet is asked to speak to someone about a dead uh dead family member that they have who succumbed to this virus the reason that she needs to speak to them is because this relative cheated on them oh. uh, this family member cheated on them and I saw I saw humanity where she goes do I do I really need to tell this man that his wife? cheated on him and therefore that might be how this got spread elsewhere it's a painful scene (laughs) it's a painful scene and kate winslet honestly for for as little screen time as she has i think it was wonderful and and just her direct when she said that she hadn't eaten much besides taco bell for the past couple of days i'm like yep (laughs) you know what you go Kate. you you you, you got this
0: yeah this Part of the fun of these types of movies is you keep seeing recognizable faces popping up. Reading this cast out, it's just, it's so many names and faces you'll recognize, plus a few (laughs) faces that pop up where you think, oh yeah, like Dimitri Martin, the comedian, are you familiar with him, Christian? I'm not, but Jennifer L., where has she been? Yeah, Jennifer Ely, she's she's been around. Wasn't she in uh, St. Maud? Did you see St. Maud? Oh, wait, yeah. No, she was. She was great. There you go. But yeah, it's someone like Dimitri Martin, who is a, a comedian, who is you know not as popular as he once was, but pops up in a minor supporting role. There's there's a lot of fun faces like that in this big ensemble movie. And again, it, I think one if there is a parallel to draw between Children of Men and Contagion is that they do have pretty large casts filled with notable people, but the true strengths lie in the filmmaking and the writing. And Contagion is a movie that. You know, you could have, except for maybe the shock of Gwyneth Paltrow's character dying early in the movie, you probably could have cast this with largely unknowns. And, S- and Soderbergh could have made the movie exactly the same as he did. And it still would have been almost as, if not as good, because so much of this is due to his strength as a filmmaker, the structure of Burn's script bouncing between all of these different plot
1: lines and telling a propulsive story. So with that, let's let's end our discussion on Contagion with the same question I had last time. Standout scene.
0: Standout scene. Honestly, I I, I don't know. It's they, they come fast and furious, and it feels like each each little storyline has its key moments. If there's one thing that I may remember, it might honestly be the ending. And Partly because I listened, or, you know, I we've talked about how we're fans of The Ringer and The Ringer did a rewatchables episode for Contagion. And the host on that show pointed this out. But they make a very smart choice to start on, you know, there's often text flashing on the screen telling you what day of the pandemic it is. And it starts on day two. That's when we see Gwyneth Paltrow coming home with a cough. And so you always wonder, well, what happened on day one? How'd this virus begin? And at the very end of the movie, the final scene is we get to see day one. And it's (laughs) an incredible choice because it takes the movie out of just, you know, this thriller attempt to tell, you know, a a what-if style story into the realm of, you know, of commentary. And Soderbergh shows us that the company that Gwyneth Paltrow works for is demolishing rainforests. And this disease started because a bat With this disease in its system was displaced, its home tree was knocked down and managed to fly away to a farm where it dropped a bit of food that made its way into a pig. And that pig was slaughtered and served at a restaurant that Paltrow's character ironically was dining at. And we see the ways that Soderbergh is drawing a line between this pandemic and capitalism, not just through... Crombody's character who is pitching these false cures and making money off of it and the ways that he's <laughs> engaged in essentially insider trading with this you know executive from some company he's meeting up with but also at the end he indicts this company this you know massive corporation who kicked off the pandemic <laughs> essentially by destroying the natural world. So that end scene is is pretty potent ending to the movie and I think it didn't need to be there and it still would have been a really great thriller and yet it that final scene takes it up a level for me.
1: I agree with you again. That final scene in order to see the origins of this pandemic really w- was just wonderful filmmaking. It was just wonderful to see these stages one in a row and we've come to the end of the movie, so we've come to the the end of of the life of this virus. Well, not fully, but into what a vaccine would mean. And then we get hit with, this is how it all started. It's so simple in how it all started. It could happen again. Yep. And it's if, you know, one thing goes differently,
0: maybe it's not as bad. If they don't displace that bat, sure. But maybe if they don't serve that pig or the pig that eats the infected food dies somehow or If we see the chef who's preparing the food, he wipes his hands on his apron and doesn't wash them. What if the guy washes his hands, you know, because he goes and shakes hands with Gwyneth Paltrow. It's all of these little, if one thing had gone differently, just one thing had gone differently, but of course we still got here. It's, it is never just one simple thing that makes a global catastrophe like this happen. It's always a series of
1: either bad decisions or unfortunate events. And that's how we got there. That brings us to the end of our discussion on these two movies. I want us to go into some awards for the entire apocalyptic blend that we've taken on.
0: That's right. Listeners, if you've been following along with the show, you know that we like to dole out some awards for our blends, pick out our favorites as we reflect on the month. We didn't do that last month, but we reflected on the Academy Awards that we were drawing our selections from, so figured that was a stand-in for this blend. So now we are back to normal, back to the normal formula, and here ready to give our thoughts and feelings on the awards that Christian has chosen for us. So Christian, fire away with
1: our first category. I want to say best use of the apocalypse as topic. The the explanation for this is going to be whose storyline are you so interested in you wanted to see more of the world? Because all six of these movies have worlds to them. That is true. Even Moonfall, Christian.
0: <laughs> Moonfall Even has Moonfall is building world. a world. In terms of best use of the apocalypse, it's hard to say, because obviously, as we mentioned, they're all doing different things with the apocalypse. And I think I would honestly say Children of Men is my choice for this award, because of its slow apocalypse, the fear that humanity is dying out, and this dystopian world that we feel like we get to explore, and yet there's so much more to see. We only stay in Britain. We don't travel around the world. And even so, there are all these mentions of other events or other people or factions that we don't really spend too much time with. And I should maybe just read the book that it was adapted from because I would love to explore that world a little bit more. So my choice is Children of Men.
1: I'm going to go with Planet of the Apes. The original. And the original, yes, because I have not seen the sequels and I know that the sequels are not held in as high regard as the original. But man, do I want to see more of this ape society? I do. How they trick us and pull the rug and say this is actually the apocalypse because mankind has fallen, I think is splendid. And and to to present ape law and the ape religion and the ape views of humanity was such a great world that they did. Such great production design. So I'm I'm excited to delve into those sequels in the future.
0: All righty, Christian. What is our second category here for our awards? Best performance. Best performance. All right. Uh, this was obviously a, a, a gush fest that I had about this performance. So this probably won't come as a surprise. But my best performance goes to Andy Serkis in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. As I talked about on that episode, I have an enormous amount of admiration for the motion capture performances that the actors involved in those movies gave, and Andy Serkis is the one of the through lines through all three movies, and I think he does a fabulous job not just giving the visual effects artists something to work with, but actually giving a real lived-in performance, managing to take on the (laughs) mannerisms in the mind of an ape <laughs> and it is i it's something that i wish he had received more recognition for uh when these movies were coming out and it, it's just it honestly is one of my um i i don't want i don't want to say favorite performances of all time but at least of recent memory is his work in those movies i think it's so um not underseen they're big movies but it's just it's incredible so i'm going with andy circus what about you
1: christian I'm gonna go with will Smith in Independence Day. Let's go. Welcome to Earth, baby. <laughs> it is so good and, and you've you've mentioned this. there are a few movies where the performances are front and center from what we've done from this blend specifically. but Will Smith takes this ensemble nature and goes to town with it and has the most iconic lines and is there saving humanity and kind of just steals it he's able to steal Absolutely. the movie away and i i respect that so
0: much i admire that it's just i mean he's unbelievably good in that movie and it's amazing to return to it and remember how little screen time he has in comparison to other movies where he's obviously front and center so i totally agree with you he was my number two all right lastly best picture This is a very difficult question because I think for each of these weeks, by and large, obviously, a lot of good choices. And I wouldn't really fault you for choosing anything except maybe Moonfall. (laughs) I would have some concerns if that was your best picture out of this group of six. I like that movie. It is hard for me to say, especially because for some of these... I was returning to them like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and Independence Day and for some of them I was you know watching them for the first time so trying to sift my relationship to the movies from my actual enjoyment and I think at this time I honestly have to go with Independence Day (laughs) and some people might call me crazy but I think it is simply one of the best blockbusters that Hollywood ever gave us and I legitimately hope to watch it every July 4th for the rest of my life maybe that's too much to ask but it is so fun it's a incredible blend of practical and visual effects and it was you know made in the mid 90s and it looks perfectly fine now give it gave us Will Smith and one of his breakout performances as part of a huge cast that's filled with great performances and despite how big and massive and long it is, it moves so fast. It is so fun and so entertaining. So despite the fact that we have some truly great films to choose from, I had to go with Independence Day.
1: Children of Men is mine. And I think it is just a masterful, masterful piece of art. Oh my goodness. To to hear that baby cry or or the the scene where the car that they're in is being attacked and then you realize who the attackers were later. It is gripping. It is ambitious. It is not perfect, but it's trying as hard as it can to be there.
0: Christian, the
1: the film critic
0: in me (laughs) is railing against myself for choosing Independence Day over Children of Men. So I certainly cannot fault you there. And while we're briefly on the topic, of course, it was one of the movies that we discussed today. How familiar are you with Alfonso Cuarón? Because we obviously barely discussed him in connection to this movie, and and yet he's one of the most important filmmakers that we've brought up this whole this whole blend. And so, you know, where does it stand for you in his other films, at least from the ones that you've seen?
1: I'm not in a great position to discuss it because I've only seen parts of Gravity and parts of Roma. I've never seen either of them in their entirety. Oh. I know, I know. I know you love I know you love Roma. I so I uh, I mean Harry Potter 3, great. <laughs> Prisoner of Azkaban, baby. No, but I have I've seen a good chunk of Gravity and it's only a 90 minute movie that tells such a I mean anchored by a great Sandra Bullock performance. And so he's he's really honestly he's kind of apocalyptic himself. He <laughs> Uh, I, he's no Roland Emmerich in terms of those are the only projects he goes to, but he, I mean, honestly, yeah, Prisoner of Azkaban's a creature feature. He shoots the frick out of that movie.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know if I would call it a full-blown creature feature because it is still, of course, a Harry Potter movie, but yeah, he does shoot the hell out of that movie, and it is often credited as the best Harry Potter movie for it's especially not. for people who aren't fans of the franchise. I it is I, not. I do consider it one of the best, but that's a conversation for another time. Yeah, I, I mean Roma, Prince. Roma and Gravity are both incredible. Um and he is a, a major filmmaker with not too many movies to his name. And so I think I, I definitely need to see Itu Mama Tambien. That's widely considered his masterpiece uh maybe children of men in contention for that as well but definitely some movies to keep watching here with coron and christian that wraps up our awards now that our three episodes are in the rearview mirror go ahead and share with our listeners what is happening next week as we wrap up our apocalypse
1: blend of the month scott and i are going to be giving our top five apocalypse movies that is right so I, a little bit for
0: myself here, because I want to know the parameters for this list, but also for the listeners, so they know what we'll be drawing from. How would we define apocalypse here, Christian, as we are make, putting together these
1: lists? They are dealing with an apocalypse currently, and the apocalypse is imminent, and they're trying to get out of it, or the fallout of an apocalypse. If you choose fallout of an apocalypse, they cannot have created their own society. It cannot be a dystopia, because in that in that case, then humanity has bounced back in some way, shape, or form. They need to be trying to return to what it was before the apocalypse destroyed them. Uh, you are not allowed to do any ties. You can have honorable mentions. You cannot do these two movies are tied for second place. We don't do that. Do I ever, Have I ever done ties? I mean, we haven't done too many top five lists, but... <laughs> <laughs> no I, I, no, we, but top five lists are are, are new for us so i want to get you know i want us to start off with with actual backbone all right so
0: that will be our episode next week looking at our respective top five apocalypse movies and this has been a fun one to think about for me christian i've got a few coming to mind already and i'm looking forward to sharing my full list with you next week of course that means that This is our show. And if you have gotten to this point in the episode, we do thank you so much for listening. As I always say, Christian and I love watching these movies and sharing our discussions. And so it means a lot to know that folks are listening along at home. And we thank you for doing that. There are a few things that you can do to support the show. Number one, go ahead and give us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. And please subscribe it helps us reach new listeners on those platforms. And we love to shout out our reviews when we can. Uh, you can also follow us on social media. Christian and I are both on letterboxd where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. I and myself are on Twitter and Christian is on Instagram. And of course, please do send us your feedback to cinema at gmail.com. We love shouting out our listener feedback here on the show. And it's important because we want to be covering the movies and talking about the blends that you want to be listening to. So if you have ideas for future blends of the month or maybe just a movie that you want to hear us discuss and we can figure out the blend it would fit into, we'd love to know your thoughts. So, again, that is cinema drip podcast at gmail.com. And, of course, we do love to shout out our listener emails here on the show. So if you have an apocalypse movie that you love please do let us know and we'd love to share your picks next week as we share our own lists christian any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home
1: i'm gonna go see marry me
0: tonight so let's see how that goes Maybe, you know, yeah i've heard mildly positive things a lot of warm fuzzies for people christian so i wish warm fuzzies upon you all right folks he's christian i'm scott the world's ending and this has been the cinema drip podcast